This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. This is the second part of our interview with Dr. Glenn Lipson. There's layers to this, right? There's the starting point, which is, you know, just being aware enough as a human being that you can say something's not right here and I need to do something. And it sounds like that's what the teachers did. As they said, I see him searching and I see him drawing. Something's not right. I need to refer this up to somebody else. Then you have a counselor who he interacted with, as far as we know, and she or he told the parents to search his bag or something like that, but didn't do the search him or herself. And that is where the burden of training becomes very real because we, especially in education, in my opinion, have gone overboard and have said, we need to train everybody on everything and everybody needs to be an expert when really, I don't think that one, that's sustainable. And two, that's the right choice for everything. In my mind, the teacher should be aware something's not right. I refer this kid to somebody else and say, you should have training like the counselor or the principal, and you should be able to deal with it. Can you talk a little bit more about that training aspect and whether or not, you know, do we need to train everybody? Do we need to train a small group of people? Do we need to have a task force in the district that goes out to different schools and is doing this all day long? What's the right approach there that's actually feasible and not just train everybody on everything? Cause that's not feasible. Okay, so so let's visit your mind for a moment. What you said is is correct. And I know as a therapist, as, as a counselor, I don't want to be the person to search someone's backpack or take their firearm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that shouldn't necessarily be the role. But you want to have someone who's trained within the area of their expertise. And that is if they feel uncomfortable, if you see something, say something. 
with the concept that what we're trying to do here is bring in the necessary support and assessment so a person doesn't pose a danger to themselves or others to help that child through whatever they're going through, basis of trauma-informed schools, hurt children, hurt other children. Maybe this child needs a different type of intervention. How you talk to the parents becomes really important. You want to recruit them in them believing that you're representing the best interests of their child, that this is not commonplace to run into this type of drawings or to have this level of concern. You also want to deal with kids uh, and students and children, not only have drills with them escaping uh, buildings and where to stand, when in doubt, get out, uh, shelter in place, what we're having in schools, which made a difference in, in Parkland. You, you also need to, to uh, create an atmosphere where if their concerns, they're responded to in a way which is not necessarily punitive, but facilitative of getting the information that a family, the community, and the child would need. And then that encourages teachers, parents, other students to come forward. If you set up something anonymous for reporting, which you, you've had discussions about that in your podcasts, there's different ways to facilitate that. So you have different training based on what different people do in, in the system. So you could have training for classified. You could have training for certified. In other words, people who are certificated to be a teacher or licensed and the people who work there who are just classified employees, not just, but are classified employees in terms of what to look for. Because sometimes a bus driver or, or someone in the cafeteria may have more insight and you want them to feel free in bringing that forward. And you want to respond overall in terms of what's in the best interest of the child and the community and the school. And that's got to be the guiding principle. Have you been a guiding principle before? So <laughs> it, it is, uh, you know, what, what are the ways we need to approach this is to encourage this, this, this type of uh, discussion. And this is relatively new. Thinking about threat assessment in this way, thinking about it in terms of, okay, maybe we have a school resource officer and there is an organization of school resource officers which just helped in the Secret Service report through NPAC, the National Threat Assessment Center. And if listeners are interested, they could go. There are a number of different reports on actual shooters and the like. FBI also has, has publications for people to look at. So you, you school resource officer may be the best one to search a backpack, but you want to do it nonchalantly. Because you don't want to have a child pull out the gun while someone's going to go to search the backpack if they know it's going to be searched. So there, 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 are, ways to, there are ways to do things, which include a monitoring communications. You know, let the parents know there's a level of concern here, not that the child is in uh, trouble. We have a problem right now in this country. And the problem is there's too much of an us and them mentality. That's part of what's going on in the political sphere. But it doesn't matter if you're right or if you're left. And the right always thinks they're right. So uh, the, the issue becomes one of everyone wants their children to come home safe from school. Everyone wants to have their children to have educational opportunities. So we have the basis for a mediation in terms of building safe schools. And it's really important to recruit people in understanding that. So there's a level of communication, not only to the administrators in terms of what are your protocols and policies, what you need to follow, 
but to staff to what to recognize, but also to the community in terms of how we have to do this together is you have too many students in this country who are frightened to go to school now. They're frightened to go to school. They're frightened about the environment, what's gonna happen with global warming. And you know, it's not easy to live in fear because that fight or flight state of arousal interferes with learning. It makes it harder to sit still and harder to concentrate and take in material. I think Glenn, one of the things that you said you know, certainly resonated with me, this idea that, that every parent wants their child to come home safely. My concern increasingly is that it's unclear that, that every parent wants every child to come home safely. And that I, I, I guess I lay that down to this almost uh, dissolution of empathy that I think is challenging our country in a lot of different ways. And, and there are aspects of this particular case that really underscore those concerns for me. And I'm not sure how we address this idea of community buy-in in the safety of all children. Well, I, I think what you'll find is when we get to that level of fear, if, and, and, you, and you address it, you address it that no child is safe unless every child is safe. Mm. And that's the way you, you bring in that, that, that sense of safety because the children who are unsafe may have means to protect themselves which could, which could then jeopardize the safety of another child. Yeah. Now, I was concerned that after Sandy Hook, there were proposals to have teachers armed in the classroom. And uh, there were proposals to even arm children just in case another child brought a gun. Because we have to recognize something which was worked by Berkowitz, and I'll talk about this from time to time, which is called the weapons effect. The weapons effect is the very presence of a weapon sometimes facilitates more aggressive behavior. Mm. And so we have to be very careful in terms of solutions that involve arming uh, teachers in the classroom. I know when I worked in the Federal Bureau of Prison, so I have been behind bars, but as an employee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. I was principal of a prison school, so I know what you mean. So you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That we did not carry guns. We I had to shoot them because I was a correctional officer first and my discipline second. And they, you know, they would put me on the perimeter with a gun if they needed to. Fortunately, they never did. I remember uh, when there'd be an alarm in the prison, I'd be running down, which is the way we respond to show up for something. What's a psychologist going to do when you show up to a knife fight? You know, it's sort of like, uh, you want to tell me more about it? <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. You look angry. <laughs> you know, Are you having a bad day? Right? <laughs> Are you having a bad day? <laughs> so it's one of those sorts of things. But that's the very nature of we do not want to militarize police. We do not want to militarize our schools. We want to use the power of connection to build the sorts of relationships where we're able to soothe each other because that's how we've evolved evolutionarily. It's called polyvagal theory. And the concept is, and, and this is now being used in couples therapy and other therapy, and it's, uh, you can see it in trauma-informed schools, that unless you get someone out of that fight or fight, flight place, that you're not gonna have a good relationship, but other people could help calm you down. 
So you have to approach the parents in a way, and we have to do this in a particular time of a tremendous amount of fear in this country, uh, politically, on, uh, in any number of, of areas of politics, on the right, on the left, and in the center. There's a lot of concerns about what's happening in this institution, and do people have to take up arms? We have to deal with that, because that then confuses the discussion of concerns about uh, a firearm in the home. You know, I, I think about this and you're right. The power of connection is what will help us fix many of these things. And connection is what, excuse me, is what we seek. And part of the, the challenge that we're facing, especially right now, is kids are going back to school after being out for some of them 18 months, some of them less than that, um, is that the connection, we said that it doesn't matter we have a thing called um, social distancing, which implies that connection doesn't matter. And we've really taken a bad approach to dealing with many of the problems that we're facing as a whole. We've really taken a bad approach to how we deal with these problems that we're facing in our country. And, you know, in the language that we're using, for example, like I said, with social distancing, we should have called that physical distancing rather than social to to say it's important for us to not be socially distant from each other because we do need to be connected. We do need to be, we need to know and understand Recording each other. Stopped. And in so many of these situations, uh, there was just this big lack of connection that made it really difficult for things to happen. And I would say that in this situation we're talking about right now, that's one of the big issues is that this, nobody was connected well enough to this kid to be able to prevent this from happening, which is a big, huge generalization, but also it, we, we know from the, the coach who stopped a shooting in Oregon that he knew the kid and he went up and gave him a hug and just held him until someone came to help. And I don't remember the names in that, but that's an example of how there was connection there in that school and the, the student was known and they knew how to, or somebody did something to be connected and that's how they solved it. There's not really a question in there. Sorry about that, but just something that I've been thinking <laughs> about a lot that if we're going to train people on these things, we need to, to train on more than just strategies, but also on compassion and, and supporting people as human beings, first and foremost. Yes, we do because we have, a group of kids that are more digitally connected, but less able to have conversations with each other. We have students who are spending a lot of time isolated in AP courses, getting very little sleep. If, if they're of, of that elk, if they're not, they're struggling and they're having problems with school. And, and most everything is in TikTok and in brief communications. So we really have to facilitate connection. That's why a lot of schools have been focusing on Cassell and uh, social emotional learning and coming back as, you know, maybe this is a potential conduit that exists in the system to help facilitate connection because we definitely need it. Um, one of the things that I like to look at is uh, the studies from the last uh, three, four years in England, where they, since they have a minister of loneliness, they have been looking at the impact of isolated children in terms of their mental health 
and emotional and academic problems. And so they're working on addressing the issue of loneliness. So loneliness is the absence of connection and loneliness leads to uh, things like involuntary celibates, which uh, that movement started uh, after the Isla Vista shootings of uh, college kids. And it's been repeated in Canada. And we really need, as you said, to work on that connection. However, that ability to connect could happen in a moment. Look at the prevention of the shooting after someone shot his AR-15 at police officers who was in a high school in Georgia. And the bookkeeper who was visiting said to the person, I sort of know where you're at. I've been depressed and I want to end my life and said, I care about you. And that was enough to have that person put down a rifle after he shot to police and he didn't go after the, the students and didn't shoot her. So the power of connection could be uh, instantaneous. That's a powerful story. And, you know, the other part of that that's really important is that everybody's responsible for that. That bookkeeper who was visiting could have very easily said, this isn't my school, it's not my responsibility. But the reality is, is uh, we need to care about other people enough to think that it is our responsibility to help them, even when we don't know them or have no connection to them or just happen to be in the same place as them. And it's pretty easy to turn your head away and not look at something when bad things are happening around you. Yeah, that, that becomes really critical to connect, but also to connect in healthy ways, because one of the things we want to ensure is that you connect with good boundaries and, and you don't get overly involved. So one of the things, and you've had Troy as a guest, and uh, is the concept we talk about, you're wanting to create an alliance to promote learning and connection. And that alliance is promoted by appropriate boundaries and having the ability to appropriately express the disposition of caring and compassion, which brings people in education and creates environments where parents want to send their children and students want to attend school. But this gets back to the point you were talking about earlier, I think, Glenn, in terms of the appropriate training for an individual's role. Because one of the things that you've heard me talk about a fair amount is that many of the relationship problems arise when educators try to take on a, a form of interaction with the student that goes beyond the teacher-student relationship. And so they begin to verge into a counseling uh, scenario or a social worker scenario, and that blurs the primary relationship between them as an educator and the student. Yes, and let's let's bring this in, into your bellywick a little bit too, and that is this really gets blurred with these short cyber com communications. Sure, so absolutely. It isn't, it isn't only interpersonally; it's that as you talk about, this is happening all hours of the day now. Right. In terms of when people are sending these messages and people are reading them. So that uh, appropriate boundary. And that's why it takes the team. The idea that I have someone who I could refer you to to talk to who's been through this before. It's like one of the best programs 
to deal with the four times the suicide rate in LGBT plus populations is the Trevor Project because they deal with giving people hope and that it gets better. There are people you could talk to who could bring you that perspective. And it's such a brilliant campaign. Better. Oh, it is. And, and there's yeah. free downloads on their webpage. So I encourage people who want to help people to look at some of the material that can be repurposed or used from the Trevor Project. It's great stuff. Well, and, you know, again, I, you don't want to overgeneralize, but when you look at some of the challenges that teenagers face, I mean, as a class, putting aside the sexual identity uh, issues, just as teenagers, they need to know it gets better. You know, when you're going through the hormone changes, you're going through the peer pressures of adolescence. I think what we're grappling with here in so many of these cases are people who are having a hard time coming to terms with those particular challenges and then layer a pandemic on top of it. You know, so we as a society, we as older people in this country need to figure out a way to tell the kids that it gets better. Yes, and we have children that have, we've seen an increase in interpersonal violence. We've seen an increase in deaths from overdoses, over 100,000 opiate deaths. In California, we have 16,000 students who've lost primary caregivers due to COVID. So we have a lot of things that lead, lead to isolation. So how do we promote connections? Because if you're not connecting with someone directly, then you're going to be more influenced by what you read on the web. Then you're more likely to create a false identity and feel tougher. And in your anger, it makes it easier to uh, devalue and care less about others. That's a very good point. So the yeah. real strength of relationships is what's necessary. And that's why I believe education needs to be direct rather than exclusively online. Because I think it's those relationships and those social emotional learning opportunities that create the citizens that we want on this planet. Yeah, this I I couldn't agree with you more on that last point. This this is one of those things where we when we closed all the schools down, we gave the wrong impression about what was important. And connection really does need to trump uh, just about everything else because it can solve so many problems and it can prevent so many problems. And that I think is so important. So Glenn, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I can't believe this time has gone by so quick, but here we are already 40 minutes in, um, and this was a great conversation. And I think, again, we just barely scratched the surface. surface. So thanks for being here and sharing your wisdom, Glenn. Yeah, thank you for the conversation. I like the way you gentlemen are doing this, where we could uh, just chat with each other and, and, and share our experience working in this field and caring about others. Well, that's excellent, Glenn. It will not be 102 episodes before we invite you back. So <laughs> we really appreciate having you on as a guest. Uh, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, threat assessment, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts, we're helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. 
We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions, topic suggestions, or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating. We appreciate having you with us and we look forward to having you join us for our next live episode on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.